Welcome back, Hemming Brainiacs, to the podcast for Book 3, Chapter 9. How cute, but the folks won't be too happy. Excuse me. Referring to, of course, little Tony and little Morton deciding that they are a bit sweet on each other. Tecrific says, the Halcyon... I never know how to say that word. Halcyon? Halcyon. Hang on, let me hear it. Pressing the little button. Yeah, Halcyon. Okay. Um, Halcyon days, calm before the storm. By the way, Halcyon. Denoting a period of time in the past that was idyllic, happy and peaceful. Good word, Tegrific. Um, In the eye of the storm. These moments that Tony is experiencing with Morton are famous and in hindsight often bittersweet. I can't help but feel bad for Tony because we all know that what's around the corner. I think one of the threads we need to keep pulling on is this ethical thread. I think it started explicitly with the console's unethical treatment of his half-brother, i.e. refusing the money they owe him. And I think a continuation of the ethical downfall of the Buddenbrooks might be the treatment of their daughter as equity. I don't usually speak in those terms, but I think the text is actually forcing us to consider this among all the other reasons for the fall of the Buddenbrooks. Buddenbrooks, sorry. It's clear now that Consul Johan is not an adequate businessman, and for all his piety, he will still betray his daughter. So her happiness now is tinged for us, the readers, with a bitter pill we've swallowed already, but Tony is ignorant of. It's cleverly orchestrated by man. Zok says, In before my flair becomes relevant again, um gos villain papa, uh, oh my god, papa? I'm not really sure what that means. Uh, TA131901 says, These days, Tony and Morton would have a relationship that lasts maybe 18 months or two years and then go their separate ways. I don't know how Morton will figure into the novel, but I can't see him and Tony working, even if miraculously the Buddenbrooks were okay with it, at least not at this point. Morton is serious, earnest, and politically conscious, and Tony is not. She doesn't really understand what makes him tick, although she does genuinely like him. Starfall 15 replies, saying yes, she likes him and is intrigued by him, but because he is different from the men in her social circle. As you said, if for some reason she marries him, their marriage won't last long due to their different expectations in life. What Morton told her about her character is true. Yeah, that's the sad thing about Morton is that he's right and he knows he's right and he knows his place and there's nothing that can be done and how frustrating that must be. Ready for chapter 10? Looks like, I've accidentally skipped ahead here, but looks like Grunlich is going to be in touch with young Tony. Here we go, chapter 10. Dearest Mademoiselle Buddenbrook, for how long must the undersigned exist without a glimpse of his enchantress? These few lines will tell you that the vision has never ceased to hover before his spiritual eye, that Never has he, during these interminably anxious months, ceased to think of the precious afternoon in your parental salon, when you let fall a blushing promise which filled me with bliss unspeakable. Since then, long weeks have flown, during which 
you have retired from the world for the sake of karma and self-examination, may I now hope that the period of probation is past. The undersigned permits himself, dearest mademoiselle, to send the enclosed ring as an earnest of his underlying tenderness. With the most tender compliments and devotedly kissing your hand, I remain your obedient servant, Grunlich. Then another letter. Dear Papa, how angry I've been. I had the enclosed letter and ring just now from Grunlich and my head aches fearfully from excitement. I don't know what else to do but send them both to you. He simply will not understand me. And what he so poetically writes about, the promise, isn't in the least true. And I beg your emph- you emphatically to make it immediately perfectly clear to him that I am a thousand times less able to say yes to him than I was before, and that he must leave me in peace. He makes himself ridiculous. To you, my dearest father, I can say that I have bound myself elsewhere to one who adores me, and whom I love more than I can say. Oh, Papa, I could write pages to you. I mean her Morton Schwarzkopf, who is studying to be a physician and who has... Sorry, and who as soon as that happens, will ask for my hand. I know that it is the rule of the family to marry a businessman, but Morton belongs to the other section of respectable men, the scholars. He's not rich, which I know is important to you and Mama, but I must tell you that as young as I am, I have learned that riches do not make everyone happy. A thousand kisses, your obedient daughter, Antony. P.S. I find the ring very poor gold and too narrow. My dear Tony, your letter, duly received. As regards its contents, I must tell you that I did not fail to communicate them to her Grunlich. The result was of such a nature as to shock me very much. You are a grown girl and at a serious time of life, so I need not scruple to tell you the consequences that a frivolous step of yours may draw after it. Herr Grunlich then burst into despair at my announcement, declaring that he loved you so dearly and could so little console himself for your loss that he would be in a state to take his own life if you remain firm in your resolve. As I cannot take it seriously what you write, me of another attachment, I must beg you to master your excitement over the ring and consider everything again very carefully. It is my Christian conviction, my dear daughter, that one must have regard for the feelings of others. We do not know that you may not be made responsible for the most high judge. If a man whose feelings you have coldly and obstinately scorned should trespass against his own life. But the thing I have so often told you by word of mouth, I must recall again to your remembrance. And I am glad to have the occasion to repeat it in writing. For though speech is more vivid and has the more immediate effect, the written word has the advantage that it can be chosen with pains and fixed in a form of well-weighted and calculated by the writer to be read over and over again with proportionate effect. My child, we are not born for that which with our short-sighted vision we reckon to be our own small personal happiness. We are not free separate and independent entities, but like links in a chain, and we could not by any means 
be what we are without those who went before us and showed us the way by following the straight and narrow path, not looking to right or left. Your path, it seems to me, has lain all these weeks sharply marked out for you, and you would not be my daughter, nor the granddaughter of your grandfather who rests in God, nor a worthy member of your own family, if you really have it in your heart alone, willfully and lightheartedly to choose your own unregulated path. Your mother, Thomas, Christian and I beg you, my dear Antony, to weigh all this in your heart. Mademoiselle Jungman and Clara greet you affectionately, likewise Clothilde, who has been the last several weeks with her father at Thankless. We are... We all rejoice at the thought of embracing you once more with unfailing affection, your loving father. And that, I believe, yes, is the end of chapter 10. Just a couple of letters, really. Cool. All right. Um, Head over to the subreddit for a chit-chat, and I'll see you tomorrow.